Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Grain prices are at a historic high at the moment as supply pressures across the world continue to drive sentiment. There's a constant stream of news from across the world, including planting figures, crop emergence, crop health figures, production estimates, etc., which all drive prices in one direction or another. The war in the Ukraine is having a huge influence on prices this year. However, grain markets were already tight with higher prices already a feature on the market before the war started. Many Irish growers sold some of their grain forward this year and understandably are regretting this move. However, the prospect of higher prices for the remaining grain they have on store will ease that somewhat. I'm delighted to be joined today by Phelan Dolan from Comex McKinnon to give us an update on grain prices and if these historic prices can be maintained right through the harvest. Phelan, you're very welcome to the podcast. And Phelan, I first want to go to you and talk about some of the drivers that were in the market before the Ukrainian war started. Going back to sort of prior to the 24th of February, um, I suppose against historical bases, the market was already elevated. Um, you know, demand and supply, you know, had had been tightening in from 2021 into 2022 in any case. So, you know, even though I suppose for a few months in the run up to that day in February, um, markets had been up and down, but generally going sideways. But, you know, pre-Christmas 2021, you know, prices had been on a sort of higher than previous plane anyway. Um, it's just that I suppose when um, the Russians invaded Ukraine on the 24th of February, um, the market really took off at that stage. But, you know, from, you know, prior to that, though, the market had been nervous of some sort of action in Ukraine. And, you know, even before the 24th of February, the market had gone up in terms of wheat anyway, a good 20 euros um, between the beginning and, and late February in advance of the 24th, if you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah, it, it was anticipating as the market does. It, it was. I mean, it was getting nervous and jittery because, the, you know, the, the, the demand-supply relationship was, was already pretty tight. Um, and I suppose the market was nervous of anything happening that would further, um, you know, increase prices. So, yes, there was a bit of um, activity in the market in the run-up to the 24th of February. But then on the 24th of February, you know, that, that was a new ball game. And, it all changed, sure. And... and I know we've heard a good bit of, of of talk about the volumes that come out of Ukraine, but you might maybe um, put that into context in terms of the world's supply of the various different commodities that it does actually produce um, in comparison to maybe the total world production. Because it, it, I think on one end it looks small, but on the other end it is quite large. There's two ends to this game. Well, I think the reality is that it's not so much the absolute production um, that's the issue in Ukraine. It's It's the fact that of their production, they are significant exporters. Um, so the exportable surplus in Ukraine is is globally significant. Whereas, you know, in in terms of their overall production, while they're very big producers, they're still not remotely as big producers as the likes of maybe China or India. But those are countries that typically don't export. So what what, what Ukraine is is on a global scale, they are very significant exporters, particularly of maize. 
uh, and secondly of wheat and to a lesser extent barley. But what really affects the market is that they tend to be exporters to um, the Middle East and North Africa, which are the closest destinations to those. Um, and when you know anything that I suppose occurs in the marketplace that affects the big export potential of, of the Black Sea area, it has a direct impact on the price of food, in particular in, in North Africa and the Middle East, which are huge importers of, of of grain and wheat in particular. So it just it creates huge ripples in the market. And and when you mentioned the Black Sea, there, in terms of a lot of the grain coming out of Russia and, and Ukraine, Romania, all those countries around there, it tends to come out through the Black Sea. Has, yes. In terms of other countries, other than Ukraine, has that overall supply chain coming out of there been affected? Well, it would predominantly affect, I suppose, Ukraine and, and, and Russia. Um, Ukraine is currently actually exporting its own grain via the ports of in Bulgaria and Romania. Um, so they're transporting a lot of grain um, by rail to those countries and indeed also transporting a lot of grain by rail up through Poland to the uh, Baltic coast and um, figures I just read yesterday uh, would indicate that Ukraine managed in the month of April to export over a million tonnes of grain which is quite a remarkable achievement considering all of their own ports are effectively closed down. Wow, geez, that's very significant. And in terms of the Russian exports, are, I know they're kind of closed off to lots of other different markets. Are Russia exporting as much as they've ever done, are they, or, or where are they at? They basically are, yes. They're exporting um, grain to, to countries that maybe are um, prepared to um, turn a blind eye to, to international sanctions. Um, but they're, they're now, Russia, to begin with, had been restricting their own exports in any case to, to try and keep a lid on uh, the domestic price of grain in their own country. So, you know, Russia is exporting, but, but they had been trying to reduce their uh, export uh, tonnages well in advance of, of, of their invasion of Ukraine. And is there a film? Is there a, a um, is there a, a, a ban or is there restrictions on Russia exporting grain per se? Well, there's a restriction on Russian ships and what would I say um, dealing with Russian companies. I suppose it depends on the um, look into into the EU. Historically, there'd be very little Russian grain entering anyway. Okay, but even with you know agricultural commodities in general now. Um, you know, Europe is is definitely taking a dim view, I would say, of anything with a Russian flag, be it a ship or a commodity. Okay. Even on things such as grain, but Europe wouldn't be a traditionally a big importer of third country we say, yeah. anyway. Other countries would be taking Russian grain as per normal. And and then in because we we've heard stories, I suppose, of of um, Russian ships coming to ports in Dublin with oil and um, being very dodgy as regards whether they were going to be unloaded or not. I think they, they generally were. But when you go back to um, Russian ships that, that um, transport grain around the world, is there much of the f- entire fleet that are Russian flags, do you think? Or is that going to be in any way significant going forward? Uh, it is significant. I mean, it, it, it is significant. I mean, there's, there's, no, I, don't, I can't give you a figure. You know the Russian merchant navy is is quite significant, and they're particularly they're particularly significant in terms of of oil tankers. 
but but they are it is I mean it, it is they are of material significance in terms of dry bulk and agricultural commodities as well. And then if we go back maybe to, to, to Ukraine a little bit, what are you hearing as regards the areas planted across the country? And I suppose, like, do they have, even though they might be planted, do you think, or what's the, the market sentiment in terms of the harvest and what might come out, if anything might come out of the country? Well, look, I mean, the market is nervous and, and will remain so. I suppose the, the, the fear is the unknown at the end of the day. And fear is a very powerful emotion when it comes to um, driving markets. The latest official figures from Ukraine um, would indicate that they're about 25 to 30 percent behind last year's plantings at this stage. Even in a normal year, without all of the um, the, the trouble and strife um, that they're going through there, being 25 percent behind last year mightn't necessarily create that many alarm bells on what is only the 9th of May, because a lot of their crops are spring crops um, you know corn can go into the ground comfortably enough right up until the end of May so that of itself wouldn't be hugely significant and I think it's probably quite encouraging given the difficulties that they are going through that they've managed to plant so much so far you know how they're going to manage those crops and how will they be able to harvest them will they be able to export them you know we all hope so but, you know, there are no guarantees in, in, in this war situation. But, you know, what you can say is that they're making a very big effort. Um, and they are also making, you know, they're planning for uh, being able to export via other Black Sea ports, other Black Sea countries, and also via the Baltic. So, you know, you could anticipate quite a lot of material that moved by train um, to Poland in particular. Um, perhaps also into, you know, the, the, the other friendly Baltic states. So, look, time, time will tell, but, you know, they're not going to be able to export as efficiently or, you know, probably to the same extent that they would do in a normal year without their own ports being opened. Well, well as, as you say, it was quite impressive that they were able to export a million tons in a, in a, in a short space of time in April, given the fact that... It is, but, uh, but, but in normal times, Michael, they could perhaps... You know their export capacity could be two hundred thousand tons a day. Ah, uh, see, okay. So you know it, it, it's they're doing a job and, and doing the best they can, but you know the logistics. Well, a million tons in a month is is an impressive volume. It's still only a fraction of what they could conceivably export in a normal type situation. And remember, it's estimated that there could still be twenty five million tons of last year's maize sitting in silos in Ukraine. That's currently you know, going nowhere fast. 25 million tons? Wow. Yes. Still, wow, geez, that's a huge amount of grain still. Well, remember, the, the, I suppose the maize gets harvested in October, November, and the country effectively shut down on the 24th of February. Hmm. So, you know, they didn't have a, a window to get rid of much of last year's harvest at all. So most of last year's grain is, is still sitting there. I suppose when you put 25 million in, in, into the context of a million a month, it's... Um... It's never going to happen. No, it's not. And that's the point. Like, I mean, unless unless the the month of April, if you go back, and I don't know how, how deep you want to get into this, but like on the 24th of February, all hell broke loose in terms of contracts and execution and shipments and logistics. The month of March, basically nothing happened. You know, the market was caught up in a, in a you know, an emergency situation and trying to secure supplies for the countries, which it, it managed to do. 
And then in the month of April, you know, this million tons has come out of Ukraine. But the logistics will improve as time passes. This was the month, of, I suppose, the first month that they had an opportunity to really do anything constructive. And they managed to export a million tons. Now, their, their capacity will improve as time passes, but it's still not, you know, it, it, there's no prospect of it getting back to what it was anytime soon. I suppose that's not the only pressure on overall markets out there. There, there, there were certainly lots of reports from really across the world. And I know there's always news from across the world in various different, various different ways, being good or bad. But maybe we might just do a little bit of a roundup just at the moment in, in, in terms of what we know um, out there um, on, for whatever information you have. Um, and one that struck me, and I, and I haven't heard much about a film in a, in a couple of months, is there was a report out of China about, geez, I don't know, could have been two months ago maybe now, they were talking about some of the worst winter wheat crops they've had on record. I don't know where that is now, or do you know much about that? Now? Yeah, and look, it's very hard, Michael, to know with any degree of certainty what is fact and what is fiction when it comes to, you know, the Chinese market and, and their production. Um, I haven't heard an awful lot about that lately. The last, I suppose, global figures that came out were um, late last week. The FAO came out with its its latest numbers, and you know, globally. The wheat production has been forecast to be sort of slightly down on last year. Last year, despite all of the um, the difficulties and, and you know supply demand tightening, um, last year was globally probably a record year in terms of, of absolute production. Um, it's just that demand has been increasing. So you know China, I would say, hard to pin down. But look, they are huge producers, and anything that they don't produce themselves, they'll, they'll need to import. But, you know, I would think there's also some serious headwinds in the Chinese economy, both in terms of the property market and in terms of, you know, COVID and in terms of, of you know, ongoing sort of growth issues in that economy. And what their demand is going to be is probably uh, equally as big a concern, I would say. Okay. Okay. And then maybe we look across the Americas, we see, I suppose, talk in North and South America of both being too hot. Too uh, too dry, and other parts of it being too wet. Um, where where do you think that's that's lying at the moment on on both sides? Maybe North America first before we get down to yeah. South honestly, I think it's too early to say. There undoubtedly are issues, you know, particularly in the um, the southern U.S. states and in the um, the winter wheat areas around sort of North Texas, Kansas, Oklahoma. But there nearly always are issues in that area. It, it's it's dry land farming in large parts of that, you know that. Uh, region and you know drought is not unusual um but there are definitely issues there and yeah i mean in, in some places there's sort of anecdotal talk that it's a question of whether there'll be a harvest at all but in other parts of the states then you know they've it, it, you know it's been raining it's been cool spring plantings are behind schedule but there's moisture in the ground and, and that could ultimately end up being beneficial to the crops in those areas so it's really is too early to hang your hat on any assumption i would say in, in north america like remember last year that canada also had a, a, a quite poor crop by its own standards its exports were, were greatly reduced last year you know will canada make a comeback this year it's possible but again in canada you're talking about predominantly spring crops and it's still quite early in terms of their their planting season and i think too early to draw any conclusions I, I happened to be talking to a um, uh, an advisor who happened to be visiting Ireland about three weeks ago, give or take, and he's just on the um, eastern side of the Rockies, and he was saying, geez, it's very dry over there, they've had a very dry winter, so he was yes, a bit sir. worried at that stage, if you know what I mean, So, but either way, I suppose Canada's a big country, one way or the other, but... From his point yeah, a huge country, and, and 
you know, in parts I was to say west of the Rockies, they probably had more rainfall than they could probably than they needed after quite a dry year last year. But look over those huge land masses that you have in, in North America, um, you always have a lot of regional variation and you know, there's always a drought somewhere and there's always too much rain somewhere else. Well, yes. um, so, you know, I think it's more important what the um, what, what the big picture is and really on the 9th of May, I'd say there's enough little niggles and concerns for the market still to be worried um, because we, the market, if it's to keep prices under control, in, under any sort of control in 2022 and into 2023, we don't need a really bad harvest anywhere. And really, like while high prices are, are are good for some people, they're not good for the majority of people. And mm. you know, even for the tillage farmer themselves, high prices also lead to high input prices. And how much more more money is actually made? I mean, you'd have a better idea on that than, than I would, perhaps. But it's it's. I think the world, in terms of its, its stability uh, and its ability to feed itself, we really don't need a disaster anywhere this year. There's talk, I suppose, in South South America as well of being too dry for the next maize crop coming out. I hear, uh, I was talking to uh, Jim McCarthy, you might know him, he's farming in Romania. He was talking about it being very dry across over there. India, I think, have had some of the hottest temperatures ever in March, um, March and April, I should say. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And the only, the only bright spot, as far as, I could, as far as I could see, just looking at some of the things coming and going, is uh, Russia seems to be doing fairly well in terms of grain, if that's to be believed, I'm not sure. Yeah, and it, but again, over 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 the huge landmass that they have, you know, you're going to have again massive variation. But yeah, things do look pretty good there. But Russia has become, you know, over the last number of years, not just in, in, in this year, but Russia has become a, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily the most reliable export partner to have because they do they do greatly um, try and greatly control the, the price of grain on their domestic market and if that means you know export bans or levies or taxes they're quite quick to um to quite quick to interfere with the market the bigger global buyers now they'll buy russian wheat when it's really cheap but they will try and avoid it if they can at all because of the uncertainty in terms of delivery and just in terms of the overall i suppose price that's out there and the um probably historic highs that it's that it's at maybe this is a really difficult question to ask but i'll ask it anyways there's always a limit really on on price in terms of what people can afford to pay. And and again, I'm probably thinking about our own domestic pig producers here who are who are losing money hand over fist. Um, yes. maybe arguably because the price of, of meat isn't high enough, but nonetheless, um paying going on for 450 euros for 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 a ton of, of of a fee just seems to be um very difficult to swallow, pardon the pun. But is is there a logical tops to this, if you like, of where Nobody can afford it anymore, or is it that too simplistic that if you need it, you have to buy it, and that's it? Well, I suppose that it, we, we could probably talk for the afternoon on this particular subject. Um, look, ultimately, it's really hard to know, but you know, at the end of the day, people and, and animals need to be fed. Um, but you can definitely see in the last month, I would say in particular, you know, people really resisting buying forward at you know with with wheat I suppose up towards even for new crop up towards the, the sort of 380s plus there has been resistance amongst consumers uh, to those prices because ultimately the, the meat producer at the moment can't see a margin in the business um, as you mentioned the the pig farmers 
I mean, pig farmers all over Europe uh, are hemorrhaging money. And I suppose Ireland is probably the forefront of that, unfortunately, because we being net importers of grain have a, you know, a higher cost, particularly when it comes to wheat, than other countries would have. And pig farming in particular is quite, you know, wheat dependent, as is, as is broilers. So we're at probably, a, you know, a historical disadvantage even there, which has also been exaggerated by the fact that the cost of importing this year due to very high shipping prices has been is, is more expensive than normal. But those those guys in the pig farming sector really can't afford to buy forward at the moment because they don't see any prospect of, of a margin. Um, and really, people tend to buy forward when they're locking in the margin. There's no appetite for, for, for locking in a loss six, eight or ten months forward. So all these people can do at the moment is basically hope that prices come back and, and that maybe the price of pig meat you know, doesn't come down again. But yeah, they're in a very difficult position. So if we, if we were to look forward then a little bit, Phelan, in terms of the of, of the harvest or the harvest price, and obviously there's good forward prices there for the moment if you're a seller rather than a buyer of grain, how or much in terms of production would it take in, in a general sense to, not talking about a collapse in prices, but, you know, a fairly significant readjustment downwards in prices, or maybe on the other side, do we need all of the grain that can actually be produced to actually stop it from rising further? Or where do you think it might be? I think if we have relatively stable production, you know, if we have got production globally that is more or less similar to last year, I think the question is more, are current prices sustainable at that level of production? And then I suppose, you know, there is a war premium in prices at the moment because of what's happening between Russia and Ukraine. How long is that conflict going to continue? Really crystal ball questions. Um, I think personally that markets are probably getting tired now and that if there isn't a significant weather scare over the next month or two, I think we will see some downside in prices because I just don't think that, you know, the market can afford to support these prices for the time being. What happens down the line, you know, as we get closer to the harvest, post-harvest, you know, I don't know, but I do think the market is due probably some sort of a downward correction. It's been it's been going one way really for quite a long time. And look, if, if you're, you know, in terms of the grain farmers, I would say a bit like we were talking about the pig farmers earlier. I mean, you know, can you lock in a profit by selling forward grain in or around current levels. And I, I think if you can, and you're happy that you can, I wouldn't discourage people from selling something forward. These are prices that we're, we're witnessing at the moment are, you know, they're pretty incredible. Historically, um, is the word. They are. They are. Kind of lose sight in his lifetime, that. a man he was, was talking to only recently in his late 60s, he was saying, I've never seen prices like this before, ever. So, I mean, that's... No, and I mean, I'm, I'm over 30 years you know, involved in this business and I've never seen them before um, or anything even remotely close. Um, you know, even in 2007, 2008, when, when Russia banned exports, you know, we, we've broken that record by, you know, quite some distance this year. Um, and I, I think that's the point is that, like, ultimately in the long run, markets find solutions and funny things can happen in years when prices are so high, you know, material can travel for awful long distances 
you know, we spoke earlier about Ukraine transporting grain to ports in Bulgaria, Romania, and Poland. You know, that's at quite a significant logistical cost. But they can justify it on the basis that the abs- you know, the, the, the price in the port for the grain will carry it. And, and, you know, one of the things which I think people need to be wary of this year is that we're very likely looking at a global downturn economically in the second half of this year and, and probably for most of 2023. I think that's reasonably well accepted at this stage. Global commodity prices, not just for grain, but for a whole selection of commodities are at record high levels and shipping of those commodities is at record high levels. But if there is a global downturn and the price of steel, concrete, coal, you know, you name it, starts to fall due to reduced demand, I, I don't think that grain, despite the tightness in the balance sheet, I don't think that grain will be completely immune from that downturn. And if there is a fall off in the global economy, there will also be, you know, we'll, we'll go from a, a very difficult shipping situation to a situation where there's a surplus of ships and capacity and shipping rates will fall. But, but shipping rates could fall 15 or 20 euros a ton on grain and, and still be higher than they were this time last year. So, you know, even that of itself is a significant potential risk to the downside. So I, I just think that people should be not unaware that prices are extraordinarily high and that it will be a job to sustain prices at these levels. It's not going to last forever. It's not going to last forever, as they say, and these things generally never do. But can I just ask one final question? It's around um, oil seeds and oil seed rape, really. Um, and a bit that kind of caught my eye from something I, I, I read there, um, that the future price of oil seed rape in August 2023 was, if I remember correctly, somewhere like 730 euros a ton. Maybe it was a bit more. I can't remember now exactly. But it's extraordinarily high for two years out nearly. Yes, it is. Now, it's not easy to to sell quantities because the market that for forward is very, very thin. You know, there's not, it's not a liquid market as such, but in, in, in theory, yes, it is, it is at that, that, that sort of level, uh, which is incredibly high. But as I said, it's, it's not, I suppose there's not too many people even engaging with, with oil sea rape in, in the coming crop, which is probably 100 euros a ton higher. So there's very few people engaging with it in 2023 at the moment. I, I suppose what, what I was thinking of as much as anything, Phelan, is from an Irish context, an Irish farmer's context, planning for oil seed rape probably starts over the next couple of weeks um, from two points of view. One is that in terms of planting seed and all that kind of thing and putting yes. in the right, right spot in your rotation. But the other one from the point of view, I think, of um, making sure a field is ready to plant in terms of having the straw off and that kind of stuff. Um, sure, yeah. Again, particularly, you know, the likes of spring barley if there's oil seed rape going in after it chopping straw, which is a possibility, but if you don't apply for it in the next uh, week or 10 days, you don't have the chance to do that. So I, I suppose having a look forward to those prices is very encouraging because there definitely has to be margin in it at that. Oh, yeah. Look, you know, oil seed rape really is, is the commodity that we probably still undervalue here in terms of the acreage that it, that it commands. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, for the last number of years, it has been a, a wonderful money spinner, really, for the farmer. And certainly in terms of its place in the rotation, I think it deserves more respect. Listen, Philip, it's been great talking to you. Um, it's been a bit of a whirlwind tour around the world for all the various different markets and that. And, and that's kind of what you have to do because we are in a global market. Um, so thanks again for your time. Delighted to, to chat to you again. And hopefully we'll maybe catch up with you again in, in a few months' time again to see where it's all at. No problem, Michael. Hopefully it's been some use and hopefully your listeners get some benefit from it. 
So that's all we've time for. And my thanks to Phelan for joining me today in the podcast. As always, if you have a suggestion about a topic you'd like to hear more about, drop me an email on michael.hennessy at chagas.ie or on Twitter at chagascrops. Finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more Tillage news and advice.